As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Audi has finally confirmed its long-awaited F1 entry by announcing its engine programme for 2026. But why hasn't it announced its partner team, and has it been too ambitious with its victory timeline? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more is Scott Mitchell-Malm. Scott, you're here with me at a not-so-sunny spa, or just outside. We're in our accommodation, which is all very pleasant, actually, in my bedroom in our accommodation. Audi's entry as an engine supplier was announced this morning, that's for 2026. No great surprise, this has been expected since the next generation power unit regulations were confirmed. It was quite a strange press conference though, wasn't it? Given that although there was some detail of how they were going about it, there's no mention of a pretty important element, which is the expected takeover of the Sauber team. Yeah, the um, as we sit here now, um, which is uh, Friday evening, our place is just outside Malmody. Um that press conference feels uh, an age ago at this point. And by the time people listen to this, I guess the press conference would still have been within 24 hours, but it was, uh, it was an early start to, to go there. So there was, uh, there was two representatives from, from, from Audi. There was, uh, I'm going to butcher these pronunciations, but Marcus Duesman, who is the, basically the CEO of, of Audi. And then, the, uh, I think, um, Oliver Hoffman, who is the chief technical officer of, uh, of Audi. So hopefully I've not uh, destroyed their names or completely misquoted their, their job titles. But And they were joined in the press conference by, by Mohammed Ben Salomon, no, the no, FIA no, president, mi- Mr. President, mi- as, we, Mr. President. <laughs> as people kept calling him, and Stefano Domenicali, CEO of F1. Yep. Uh, so it was quite a grand uh, quite a grand setting, really, for what was, uh, as you say, a, uh, an announcement and press conference that was actually light on um, major details and, and, and comments. Uh it was basically a chance for Audi to to really to 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 just I guess kind of do things on their own terms because they've been acting like 
this was a big secret. Whereas everyone's been talking about this for months. And for weeks, it's been very, very clear it would only be with, with Sauber and that they would almost 100% going to join. But they basically got to a point where they wanted to nail down and confirm the engine program. We knew that Audi and Porsche had to wait until the 2026 engine regs were signed off before they would give the final green light to a project. They've beaten Porsche to the punch as well, which was unexpected. They have, yeah. That, so the, the Porsche Red Bull deal, which in basic terms is effectively a... A, a, a partnership with Red Bull Powertrains doing the bulk, if not all, of the engine development work, Porsche being a supporter of that, and possibly even buying 50% of Red Bull Technology, which is the company that basically builds Red Bull Racing's F1 cars and also supplies parts to, to, to Alpha Tauri. That had been so advanced and so obvious for so long that it felt like that was the one that needed ticking off. Whereas because Audi wanted to come in with its own independent engine program and a team, that felt like it was going to take longer to resolve because the process of buying a team is more more complicated. But because these engine regs got signed off on August the 16th, what are we, 10 days after the fact, Audi's in a position where, no, the engine thing is the thing with the longest lead time. We can confirm that. Okay, it's going to, they want to, all they've said about their partner team is that they'll confirm it by the end of 2022. But by doing this, they're able to get out there that, They've been doing a load of work in anticipation of this. They've been working on their their facility in Germany to make sure it's uh, tooled up, ready, kitted out to be an F1 level organization. So the, it was, I'm not going to say that the press conference was for show. They did literally have a show car. Um, we didn't see that in the press conference, but they did some shoots with um, that uh, in advance. I think they had it at the factory in Germany as well. They had it in the pit lane at, at Spa. Um, so you know, a nice little concept car, effectively on the F1 2022 show car. Although the funny thing is, whenever that show car turns up now, it looks so out of date. It almost looks like unlicensed generic Formula car because we've now got to know these real cars so well. Yeah, I, and although it's to the rules, it, it just looks completely alien. I feel like I've driven that car on R Factor Two or a Seto Corsa. It does very much feel like a Formula hybrid kind of thing, where you're not you don't have the license for something, but you want to make a close approximation of what F1 2022 looks like. So. The way Audi did this was that they had a bunch of a bunch of resources. Basically, they've they've got now got a, a way of advertising this F1 campaign. They want to get on to to shouting about the fact that they're in F1. They're going to have loads of marketing and public publishing stuff that they're going to want to do. They're going to obviously have to keep stressing that this is um a, this uh, the the vehicle pictured is a concept or not a production vehicle and therefore cannot be purchased or whatever. Absolute nonsense keeps being tweeted every single time a motorsport vehicle is tweeted from an Audi account, which is very funny to take the mick out of once or twice, but very quickly becomes tedious. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that we can move away from that from an Audi point of view. But now that we've got now that we've got the engine program announced, now that we've got this show car, it gave them an opportunity to basically say, look, here's we're gonna put an image on this. We're gonna put we're gonna put it out there that we're that we're coming in. And yeah, there are some things to to wrap up but it's 100% done signed sealed delivered Audi coming into Formula 1 there's been all sorts of cynicism around it because when was the first Audi F1 rumour of the modern era I mean it comes and goes every few years the fact you say the modern era there were 
to talk about Audi in the 90s and yeah. that kind of thing. This, this has constantly, constantly happened. Audi has never been in Formula One. We did have an excellent piece on the website that Mark Hughes wrote talking about how Audi sort of had been in Grand Prix racing before through, through the Auto Union, which is, of course, the Four Circles, the logo now used by the by uh, by Audi. But yeah, never been in, in Formula One. No, So, but, but, but what they have done now is taken that step everyone was waiting for them to take. So that's kind of what this was. It was a a rubber stamping exercise with a bit of gloss on it. That's where the, the show car comes in. So so not a huge amount of, you know, reeling off loads of names and recruits and this is how many people we're going to have and this is what we're going to do. These are our milestones. This is the team we're going to run. This is when we're going to take over it. This is what the team's going to be called in the interim. It was rubber stamping with a bit of gloss. And of course, we're expecting it to be Sauber. It's still not done, so who knows? They've talked to a lot of teams. There'll always be contingency plans, I'm sure. But it seems to be going the, the Sauber way. And of course, it wasn't a coincidence that Alfa Romeo announced what they're doing with Sauber, or rather what they're not going to be doing after the end of next year. It wasn't a coincidence, but it was petty, wasn't it? Like I, it, it felt childish to me. It felt like kicking out for no reason. Did, did you think that? or I just wondered if it was just necessary tidying. They wanted to make clear their position. But yeah, it was odd given there was no Sauber announcement. If there was a Sauber announcement, it'd be completely logical. But it is strange. Alfa Romeo wanted to put that out there because they've just renewed for another year. They announced it was going to be annual renewals in this, what, 10-year deal? But, was, well, but they announced, they, they renewed it, but they didn't announce it. They they In this, because uh, I found the press release on uh, a regional edition of the Stellantis website. If you go in, for, if I went in through the normal way to the, Alfa, the official Alfa Romeo media site, you, you couldn't actually see this Stellantis press release but when I found it there was a reference in there to them saying like well, we as as previously announced we, we've got this deal for 23 like, it wasn't announced you didn't do anything there was no corporate communication on this it was uh, Jean-Philippe Imperato the the CEO of Alfa Romeo giving a random quote to Reuters um, back in late July saying yeah I've signed that deal this morning so we'll continue for next year so they kind of treated that Sauber F1 thing with a little bit of disdain, to be honest. Um, if you're that proud of it, that want to make that much of a song and dance about it, you would, you would, you would, even if it's just simply doing a press release, you you would have put out and said, "Yep, that's it. 2022 is going really, really well. We're super happy with how it's going. Return on the investment is bigger than ever. The results on track are great. Off track, it's going really well. We're finding because they are finding little nuances in technology." not transfer but you know assisting with the road car stuff using the 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 the, the Sauber facilities that there's no there's no alpha technology going into the F1 car but there there are other benefits to that on and off track the Alfa Romeo Sauber partnership has been brilliant value for money for Alfa Romeo but not a word of the fact that in light of a great season we're continuing it for 2023 but then when the manufacturer that your current partner is being widely linked to announces they're coming in but doesn't announce your partner at all Alfa Romeo feels the need to basically say yeah by the way this is absolutely over by the end of next year and it just felt it felt unnecessarily callous yeah it was a little bit odd and Alfa Romeo like you say they've got an amazing deal out of this everybody calls it an Alfa Romeo they've got a Alfa Romeo Formula One car on the grid that not one iota of it beyond the paint job is Alfa Romeo but everyone says it is which is a great deal for them so all credit to them for for doing that so yeah a little bit of a, a curious one but these things never run entirely smoothly but let's talk about this timeline now they've set a timeline of 
I'm not sure exactly the phrasing. Basically, being able to fight for wins and win races within three years. Be very competitive. Be very competitive, which is fighting for wins, really, isn't it? On merit. Now, I think back to Honda, who said before they came in that their aim was to be at Mercedes level. And, of course, this was at the time when Mercedes were all conquering with their power unit for the the new regulations. So that meant winning races. And you think of other manufacturers that made bold claims, it's that that's an ambitious target and a bit of a bit of a, a millstone around their neck potentially it's just needless it's a bit of I, I understand one of the arguments that I think it was our colleague Ben Anderson made earlier was that because corporations like to work with these three-year programs it was quite a nice bit of corporate speak that probably chimed quite nicely with the board but so what, tell the board that. yeah tell the board that keep it internal like I, I love it we did a story on the fact that they've done that and if they fail to be very competitive within three years we will be reminding Audi of this in 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 a few years' time, but it, it just seemed it seemed like a needless bit of public bravado. To be honest, it's a big, big claim to make for two reasons. You've got to make the you've got to basically have Audi being capable of creating a V6 turbo hybrid F1 engine, which they haven't done before, from scratch, and be good enough to take on Mercedes, Ferrari, and Renault, which is a really big ask and obviously whatever Red Bull powertrains and Porsche come up with so that's a big ask to do that within three seasons of entering Formula 1 but you've also got the team side now whether it's Sauber or Williams because it I like I'm 99% sure it'll be Sauber but there is a tiny chance it doesn't fall through and if it doesn't oh, sorry there'll be a tiny chance it falls through and if it doesn't go ahead Williams is presumably the only real alternative Wh- whoever they're with and I say whoever it is Sauber there's a lot of progress that needs to be made there. It, that is a huge ask to say that Sauber, even though they've made great progress from 21 to 22, they will not have the same opportunity to make this leap many times. The 26 with a new car aligned to the new engines is an opportunity to make a step. But to say that organisation can go from where it is now to fighting for podiums or wins by 2028, that's a big step as well. And I just think that is unrealistic. And just to further your comparison to Honda which is a fantastic reference and reminder of the setting these public targets being fraught with peril for an engine manufacturer. I quite like the Renault comparison because that's a great reminder of even though starting your own team would be a lot harder and in theory it's easier to take over an existing team and build it up, what Renault's had to do since... Team Enstone fell into absolute ruin and fell to its knees because of the Lotus days. They have spent years mired in the midfield because that team's infrastructure fell so far below the required standard. And yes, it's been mismanaged as well. So I think a better Renault organisation would probably be two or three years ahead of where it is now. It's still a multi-year project. And you can argue the toss really over whether Sauber is in a better position than, than Renault or Lotus was in late 2015 when it took over I think Sauber is healthier than the what Renault inherited or, or didn't inherit but purchased but my point is is that they're not a crack organization you were before we recorded this podcast when we were on the way home from the track you said if Audi were partnering with Red Bull and they were targeting wins within three years you wouldn't really bat an eyelid at that you'd say yeah that's that's what you should be doing Sauber's not Red Bull and it doesn't mean they won't have that success Sauber is a good base to work from they could do it but it's just all about that that pressure that's created and let yeah 
Audi's coming to be successful in Formula One. It's coming to win races and win world championships. That's very, very clear. They absolutely should have those targets. They can have them internally, privately, or whatever. But it is risky to make those your your public objectives. Doubly so when you haven't quite got everything aligned when it comes to your teams, etc. You don't know exactly how things are necessarily going to pan out. They've got a reasonable idea. So yeah, it, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough one for for them to to achieve, but. It is Audi. They are to be taken very, very seriously. Yeah, and obviously the other thing that we heard from them today is obviously just how much they're doing to to make sure that the program is is big. You've got uh, you can probably explain it better because you you wrote something for the website on how exactly it's going to work. But one of the things that I wanted to flag was really more the um, the sort of context around Audi's entry and why that does create a better sort of environment for them to to come into because you've got all the things that are making F1 a more level playing field with the cost cap on the team side there will be a cost cap on the power manufacturer power unit manufacturer side uh, as well you've got all these test aerodynamic testing restrictions that should boost up the Sauber organization but specifically with Audi coming in you also have concessions for the new manufacturers a few more dyno hours a bit more money to spend a bit more capital expenditure to to, to use as well so there are there are reasons to think that the wider organization can catch up because there is a deficit to try and overcome there and the fact that they're you know we've removed the MGUH for 2026 and that means the existing manufacturers have to start something not from scratch but pretty much from from zero in some regards and it also means that there's not a super complex system for Audi to develop that other t- other manufacturers especially Honda found extremely difficult so there there are there are some other variables at play here that does make it a a better well to quote Mohammed Ben Salayem Mr President he said that manufacturer is not going to come into F1 and engine manufacturer is not going to come into F1 to be humiliated and new manufacturers wouldn't be interested in coming into F1 from an engine point of view if the rules hadn't changed and I, I do agree with him on that. I don't see why a manufacturer, an engine manufacturer would have come into Formula 1 with the existing rule set because I think you'd have been on a hiding to nothing and while I think it's I think it's aggressive and it's a short timeline uh, for Audi to even go for that vague target of being very competitive within three years. It has got a fantastic motorsport pedigree and F1 is in a slightly healthier position for a new manufacturer to come in. So, yeah, it's not unrealistic. It's just a it's just a bold thing to say publicly. Yeah, the prevailing conditions are much, much, much more favourable. They've been designed to be that way. They needed the cost cap, as you mentioned, on the engine side in order to be able to push on with things. But just because the prevailing conditions are good, just because Audi is this illustrious name and they've got good facilities and investment, it's not a guarantee. Prerequisite for success, not a guarantee. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers, 
It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and Gold Fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the Commuter Collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The Commuter Collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Let's have a little bit of a look at some of the nuts and bolts, because this is a genuine Audi engine project, whereas Porsche's partnered with Red Bull and they'll be using Red Bull powertrains who will be doing most of the work. This is in-house Audi, well, a little bit down the road from from Ingolstadt in uh, the Bavarian town of Neuburg and the Donau. 47 hectare site they've got there. That was opened in 2014, the new home of, of Audi Sport. So they're running it out of there. They're building it up as we speak. That was where the the uh, the Dakar well, where the Dakar project is running the the Audi RSQ e-tron. So they've got some facilities there. They've got a lot of the dyno equipment, and that's not just for the conventional engine, but the electric engine. Obviously, that's the Dakar connection there. They've diverted resources. They've shelved that LMDH Audi project. They're still doing customer GT programs and and Dakar, but they're really focused on F1. They're committed. That was very clear. While they didn't give massive details about it, they were able to say, this is what we've done. This is what we're working towards. And we started on the engine in March. Yeah. So they've been working on this for for a while. They are stocking up that facility. The suggestion is there's around 100 or so people working there now, and that will triple basically by the time they've got it where they want it to be but that's still a relatively small engine organization if you compare I, I never can never remember how the mercedes one is broken down but i know across brackley and bricksworth the chassis and the engine department they have loads of people i think uh, like upwards of two thousand. i think has been said yeah before. And obviously bricksworth 
does other things as well as the F1 engine project. So it kind of falls into that as well. Yeah. So I guess if you started to include other people that work within Audi on powertrains, then you're probably getting to a much bigger number. But the way they're the way they're going about it is absolutely proper. I know that people get annoyed when there's not talk of like extra teams. I'm I'm sure there's some people listening to this now that wish that Audi had come in as an eleventh team because more is better and people love new teams. The way F1 sees it, and I'm honestly inclined to agree, is that if you get a major manufacturer come in and boost an existing team like Sauber, that's better overall. And I, I don't disagree with that. I think 10 really strong teams is a int- very interesting place to be. And, and think about the investment for a startup Formula 1 team. We've had the privilege of we've been to, I mean, you've been to most of the F1 teams. I think I've been to pretty much all of them. The amount of equipment and kit, it's not just all these people and you know, the design office computers and that kind of thing the cfd facility just all the manufacturing facilities the great big autoclaves the 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 machinery that's just making this stuff the lazy you know it's just the nuts and bolts of all the stuff you need to buy and put in it let alone filling it with people to work on it is absolutely enormous which would just be prohibitively expensive for audi who have stressed that they are not spending any more on motorsport through this f1 project than they were previously because they've diverted funds from other projects that have been closed what what i'd like people to take on board is that it, it is such a serious works effort like one of the things that will be quite good if if it all goes to plan and they take over Salber is that team will then have gone through a complete reversal of like how serious a works program it is because we have been referring to them as alfa romeo for the last few years but it's not alfa romeo's f1 team they don't contribute anything to that they it's not a works team in even the the faintest of of definitions but the when Audi buy it, yeah, okay, they've bought the team and they've bought the infrastructure. They haven't set out themselves, but the technology will be very much theirs. The engine technology will absolutely be theirs, and they will be guiding the chassis development. They will be they will be imprinting their own philosophies and ideas and ways of working and personnel on the what has been the Sauber headquarters since the team reclaimed itself from from BMW. So. This is going to be a, a, a proper pucker Audi Works team with an awful lot of investment and an awful lot of effort on the technology side as well. So, you know, they're not half, it's not going to be a half baked project. Whereas the Porsche thing, as in, just as in a different example, if they're going to invest in Red Bull technology, that's great. And it does signify a much more impressive level of commitment than we were initially thinking. But from a technology point of view and the, at least at least to begin with it's going to be a red bull product with a porsche sticker on it it's not really going to be a porsche product and audi are very very proud of what they're doing like, you know they've already taken a swipe at mercedes and by extension a swipe at their sister vw brand porsche by celebrating the fact that this will be the first power unit produced in germany for over a decade but the last one being the bmw engine that powered Sauber. Yeah, funnily enough. But it's funny because obviously that was interpreted as a Mercedes dig and I'm sure it was because I've already heard that there's a lot of needle between Audi and Mercedes and Audi are quite fun about, you know, like trying to get one up on, on Merck. But they have taken a dig at their own sister company there because Porsche's engine will not be like, if Porsche and Red Bull come together, it will be a UK operation. There will not be any work done in, in Porsche in Germany. I'm sure of that. Yeah, and although they haven't talked about 
who they've been recruiting for the most part. We know who's heading up this engine project. They've set up a separate company to run the F1 engine project, but it's a subsidiary of Audi Sport, wholly owned by Audi Sport. Adam Baker is the CEO. Probably not a name you've heard of, but he's been the FIA safety director for the past few years. What does an FIA safety director know about engines? Well, an awful lot, because prior to that, he worked with BMW Motorsport. He's been head of their powertrain department world superbikes he's done a huge amount of work head of race race and test from 2013 to 2018 at bmw he was working on the bmw Sauber project on the engine side he was an engine engineer before that worked with cosworth and f1 early in the century so a wealth of experience there from the guy at the top the ceo and i'm sure some aggressive recruiting will have been going on great time in Formula One to be somebody who works on the engine side because there's lots and lots of jobs going around the place and I imagine lots of very very good pay packets because there's so many accomplished personnel who uh, good luck to them absolutely deserve uh, good remuneration. One thing we do need to talk about Scott is we did a podcast last year about how sensible it would be for Porsche and Audi to do a joint engine venture. So you share the costs, they're part of the same group, then you simply have one with a Porsche badge in one car, one with an Audi badge in another, or however many, cost-effective. So why have they not done this? I know you've touched a little bit on it, but why not do the the easy thing when cost is so important? Yeah, there's a few reasons here, and I don't really know in which order they fell in terms of the discussions. I know that it was discussed internally whether they they could or, or, or should do it as a joint project. I think there were a, a couple of um, ways that they would go about that. You would either have the a, com- a, a completely joint project between Audi and Porsche, creating a VW Group engine effectively, or you could have had it whereby, which was I think what a lot of people expected it to be earlier this year, when it emerged that Audi would do their own engine, standalone ver- to, what, to what Porsche did. The expectation was they would take over the engine that Porsche aborted a few years ago when they actually developed an F1 engine. Certainly, the they, they developed the V6. They hadn't developed the... They, they'd mocked up an ERS design but hadn't produced it, but they had produced a, a V6. The suggestion was that Audi would take that on, but apparently that's not really what's happening because that would have been the case had they gone down a joint venture. It would have been made more sense to do it to do it that way. Because I guess because it was Porsche's IP and Porsche's work and Audi want to want it to be to be their own, so it didn't work. They they decided against doing things together, and basically there's a mix of I think there's a mix of commercial reasons within that. There's a little bit of sort of brand arrogance, I'm I'm sure, and logistical reasons as well. So on the commercial side. Both of these brands have massive fan bases and they both have individual identities. They both have different things they want to tap into. They're they're very clearly differentiated, those two brands, aren't they? Really different fan base, to use that word, different customer base, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. And the way Formula One is at the moment with, you know, this boom in America, it's growing in Asia, it's going pretty much everywhere in, in, in the world at the moment. USA and China were the ones that Audi particularly cited as important. And they've got a... Uh, increasingly young demographic of a fan as well which also massively appeals to to Audi and I think the VW group looks at it and just goes why not just have two bites at this cherry because Audi and Porsche will both get an awful lot out of that so that's I think one factor on the on the commercial side then logistically I think you look at it and say well once they've decided to do things differently as in not have a like one single 
project and they've got different ideas of how they want to do that. Audi wants to have its own team and car and engine program. Porsche are more happy to partner with an existing team. Then it doesn't make sense to do a shared engine because you've got different cars. So there are different logistics there in, in, entirely. Your development structure is going to be completely different. How you integrate powertrain and chassis is going to be completely and different. And it means one will always one will be the primary. So we'd be saying, well, it's an it's an Audi project with a Porsche tag on, or vice versa, depending on which teams they're with, really, because there'll be one team that will be the, the real architect of it, because we talk about how important that integration is, because you create performance opportunity, aero opportunity on the car side with your design of powertrain. Yeah, exactly. So the, this this basically would have just been a needless compromise. So ideally, you do your own separate thing. There would also have been an absolute... 100% of the element of pride on the Audi side to have it as their own technology. Porsche doesn't seem to, surprisingly, Porsche doesn't seem to care about that as much, but Audi has this almost one person who has worked very high up in the VW group told me that it's a very German way of of working is that you want to have your fingerprints on it. It needs to, it needs to be yours, and Audi seem to have embraced that massively. So I, I Which is good because... They've also based it there. It's it's very much in Audi. It's not like they've got an outside engineering company to do it. Obviously, the Bricksworth uh, Mercedes base was Ilmore originally, way back when. So yeah, very very much purebred Audi. So I think I think the bottom line is that they they've they've got they've got themselves into a situation where they want to have two completely separate projects because it fulfills different needs and, and obligations. And ultimately, with the way F one has developed what it's changed where you know you can enter F1 now pretty much with an idea of what your fixed costs are going to be for five, ten years. It's going to be slightly different because you're going to have capital capital expenditure where you want to try and invest a bit more here and there. You're going to have to be recruiting people and, and stuff like this. But with your with your power unit cost cap, with your team cost cap, you've got a rough idea of what your absolute out, peak outgoings are going to be. And those brands are going to get an awful lot back from being in Formula One. You know, Audi and Porsche aren't going to have any trouble selling hospitality and getting sponsors in and stuff like this. Just look at the um, the Porsche Formula E car and the partnerships that they've got uh, in in Formula E. And it's an absolute top tier brand that people want to be involved in. So I honestly don't think Audi and Porsche are going to have any trouble at all making money off of those F1 teams. Like it, the, the actual team itself, the, the you know, an engine program is still going to be super expensive. But my point is that once you commit the money and get in, it becomes self-sustaining. That is where F1 wants to get it to. So it's then you're like, well, why not have two? Because once we've paid that money up front to set up, especially for Audi, set up that engine side, Audi found the money to do this or they're finding the money to do this, you just put yourself in a position where you can go, okay, brilliant. Well, now we've got two brands in F1. Why would they leave? Like you know, they, that this they're, they're talking about these as long-term projects, and I think you can genuinely believe in that. Whether that means nine or ten years or twenty plus, I don't know. But it's not going to be they come in for three or four years and then disappear. I'd be amazed if they pull a Honda. Yeah, and they're both effectively going to be signatories of the Concord Agreement. There'll be a new Concord Agreement covering twenty-six onwards because the current one expires at the end of twenty-five. So Porsche is going to part own the Red Bull F1 operation, which is how we're loosely referring to the Red Bull technology, which is not an offshoot. That's absolutely the core of what they do in F1 and an Audi with a majority stake, presumably in Sauber. So this really, really is tightly bound to Formula One. And I think that's the important thing with manufacturers. We know 
how beneficial it is to Formula One to have manufacturers in and how destructive it can be when they get a bit bored and run off. But if it's much more self-sustaining or entirely self-sustaining and it's ticking all their boxes in terms of their other objectives, etc., then it's happy days for everyone. Perhaps it can finally be sustained. Yeah, one day someone's going to put a red line through it on a piece of paper, board politics and all that kind of thing. But this would be a much, much harder thing to cancel. Assuming, of course, it's good. You talked about the, the pride that's gone into this Audi thing. Pride's one thing, hubris is the other. It's going to take us a few years before we know which it is. But I think we can be pretty confident that things should go well. My only concern is, will it be within the timeline? Well, thanks, Scott, for joining me for this impromptu podcast after a busy day here at Spa. Make sure you keep up to date with the race.com and don't forget the hyphen on what's been a busy Belgian Grand Prix weekend so far. And remember, you can click on our live hub for all the coverage from the rest of the weekend with input from ourselves, Gary Anderson, Mark Hughes and the whole team. Stay with us on the Race F1 podcast for everything you need to know from Spa. The Athletic.